Life is a cage. And I realize that now. The worst part of this realization is that most people know it. But they never do anything about it. They're content to look through the bars as long as the cage has a roof and there's food inside of it. They don't dare attempt to escape, to risk for something better, that, or they're expecting someone to come along to open the cage for them. Whatever happens. If it does, you can bet that whoever opens it has his own plan for you. Plan you're probably going to hate. I finally decided to open my cage. However, I didn't feel like it had been a matter of pushing a door open and walking out. I had practically bloodied my hands trying to rend the bars, finally grinding them down so that I was barely able to escape. I came out with scars to prove it. I fought for my freedom. Outsiders understandably scare me. Homeless people, junkies, drifters, hobos. For some weird reason, I've always had a pathological fear of ending up like these people. I can't tell you why. Maybe it was ignorance. These types always seemed naturally repellent to me. Instead of repulsion and fear, I now felt a completely different emotion towards them. Jealousy. Some of them might have mental... Granted, but some of them just didn't care. They lived life on their own terms. Not their bosses, not their parents, and not society's. Theirs. I wanted to live the way they did. I wanted to start riding trains. I started researching this model of travel. My brain soaked up every bit of information it found. Hobos were nowhere near as honorable as they were depicted. They would sometimes kill each other by shooting, stabbing, or just pushing one another off the boxcars while it was moving, not giving a care as they moved on to the next job out west. I learned about the current incarnation of freight hopping, which is basically a pastime of crust punks and reoccurring addicts, filthy transients who don't have to ride a train. They need to. There are gangs on the rails. The Freight Train Riders of America and its bastard child, the Blood Bound Railroad. I didn't feel that I had to fear them much. They were monsters that mainly slinked around the chains in the Northwest, like ticks on a snake. I was in the South, yet I still felt they could be here. Even if they weren't, there could be people like them. I went through nearly every scenario in my head that could happen if I hopped on a freight train. I'm a small female. Rape. I know nothing about hopping on trains. My body could get dumped at a base of a ravine. There. Would I find food? They might use you for food. These are concerns that I considered seriously, but I need more knowledge of this beast before I attempt to bridle it. There's a royal yard a few miles away from my apartment. I went there one summer's day. It was glaringly sunny and around 90 degrees. Sweat beating on my thighs, causing my blue jeans to constrict to them. I arrived at the royal yard, a junky maze of boxcars, a grab greens. In maroon, 
being taken apart by men with glistening dirt-speckled skin. The crew changed. I thought, as I approached them, my boots kicked up the yellow dust that swirled on the ground. Wading through dead, scrubby plants that were choked on the surface. The man closest to me turned to stare. He was missing the majority of his teeth, and his thinning hair was pulling back a scraggly ponytail while he had a more prominent nose. He lacked a chin, giving him kind of a dopey look. Can I help you, ma'am? He said in a strong country accent. Not sure, but I'm willing to take my chances. I'm Emma. I extended my palm and shook his dirty, sweaty, wet palm. Pleasure to be ill. What you need? Well, I was wondering if you would mind telling me a bit about the rail yard and the trains that come here. The man introduced himself as a will. He was a motor mouth, but thankfully an informative one. He told me that all about arrival times and when crew changes were and where the trains were headed. When he slowed his pace, he finally got around to ask me some questions. You doing this for a school project? Um, not really. I I looked around the rail yard to make sure no one was listening. I actually wanted to hop a train. Will's eyes widened, causing the skin on his forehead to wrinkle. Why would you want to do that? Let's get away. Ah, see. He nodded his head intently. Is there any way you could help me? There was a moment of silence between us and the will. Contemplated what I had said. The best time to find me around is ten in the morning. I can't tell you everything you need to know. From that point on, every day at 10 a.m., I would go to the rail yard to meet Will before he worked on the rail yard. He had hoped trains to get here, so he was a fairly reliable resource. He told me about the finer points on which cars I could get on, which were the safest. If he admonished me once, I admonished him a million times about cargo shifting and crushing on me to avoid the cars that held them. His advice to me about catching out of the yard was to wait until the train was completely stopped. Due to my experience, he wasn't confident of my ability to catch on the fly, helping the train while I was moving. About a week into my training, we finally broke it to me. I'm worried about you, he said. Why? There are a lot of bad people on these tracks. Some goodens, mind you, but a lot of crazy people be on these trains. I've prepared myself for that, I said, definitely. No, I don't think you have. Will's voice had taken on a stern quality that I hadn't heard before. I was one of them. I stood there unmoving. He took a swig of his Pepsi, looking me in the eyes as his head came down. He put a knife on a man once. It was, he was high on meth. And he cut him across the arm. Thankfully, he lived. He will spend some time in jail. Luckily, he got straight. Well, I'm gonna do it. I have to leave. If you don't want me to help me, I'll just get on the train while you're not here. You know, Tom is a lazy-ass bull anyway. The look Will gave me was possibly the saddest that I had ever seen cross his face. In the short time I had known him, I felt sorry that I had put it that way. 
but I wasn't going to be swayed. Will also knew that Tom, the security guard at the Red Yard, was sleeping in his office most of the time. Yeah, absolutely. Wouldn't be bothered by me. Will nodded his head solemnly. When you leaving? Tomorrow, I said. Will remained silent for a second. I'll see you off then. I arrived at the Royal early. It was still dark out. I had a backpack with me that held a loaded gun, some extra ammo, a bit of food, a knife, and a flashlight. In my hand, I held a gallon jug that I had filled with water. I wore heavily supportive boots. It was covered in layers. Despite the heat and humidity, once the train got moving, the wind would be freezing. I met Will. You sure about this? I nodded. He directed me to the last car on the train. It was completely empty. The doors were open. Hide in the back. You got a rock? I leaned down and picked up a large weathered stone. I could wedge it between the doors. In the event, I had to close them. Since they didn't open from the inside. I scrambled into the dark corner of the empty boxcar. Will would sometimes lean against the boxcar to talk to me. But most of the time, he was getting things set up. It came for the time for the train to take off. You know about the next stop? It's a while away. Yeah, well, you've told me. I smiled. You stay safe and don't let anyone fuck you over. I won't. The train started moving. I waved to Will as it gained speed. We stared at each other until Will's image was obscured by trees. I was completely alone now. I sat in the corner of the train, contemplating my situation. I was scared. More scared than I had ever been, and I loved it. I was free. No one, except for me, knew where I was going or where I would end up. Food was going to be a bit of an obstacle, but I figured I could just go to a soup kitchen or work as a waitress somewhere while there were challenges inherently with this lifestyle. There were also... Um, myriad of possibilities, I was ready to take hold of them. The first couple hours on the train, I kept to the back. It was probably running about 70 miles an hour, and I hadn't yet gained the courage to move to the open area. I secured the gallon jug behind my backpack and slowly rose. I held to the side of the boxcars and sat at the opening. What my eyes saw was outstanding. A dark gray mountain sat in the midst of the sea of green trees. Its vastness filled the land as a fierce wind howled to the trees, exposing silver undersides of the leaves. It was like an island fortress as an ocean of undulating greens and silvers. Daring anyone to swim in its shores, this scene was gorgeous, but it also terrified me. My apartment, my cubicle, the eateries in the surrounding area where I lived were my familiar landscapes. They had been replaced with the dingy metal walls of a car and the fantastic daunting views of nature you could only see by traveling this way. I left my crappy boss and my coworkers, the bartenders who served me when they should have cut me off, and throngs of facelift people I didn't care to know. I wondered it would be replacing them. I stood up in the train now. The sun shone upon my face. I took off my coat and threw it on the corner of the backpack. 
my body pulsed with the unfettering freedom. For the first time in my life, I was happy. I must have stood there for what felt like hours, my skin growing taut with the cold. I drank in every image that nature had to offer. As ecstatic as I was, I was growing exhausted. Willa told me that the wiping wind would suck the life out of me. I now fully believed him. I carefully moved to the corner again with my backpack. I drank heavily from the jug and put my coat on. Closed my eyes and fell asleep immediately. The positivity of this experience while I was awake hadn't translated to my slumber. My dreams were plagued with all of the horrors I'd read about. Grimy, toothless men with jaundiced eyes leered at me through the jungles of the side of the tracks. Stalking my every move, gang members hiding behind black bandanas held knives to my neck. As they tried to pull my pants down, a woman with stringy hair howled at me as she lunged at my body, trying to bite me. I woke up in a cold sweat. I thrashed as I looked around the car. Night had fallen by this point, but the train was still moving. I hadn't reached my destination yet. I pulled my flashlight out and the gun out of my backpack. No one was in the car. No one but me. I took a deep breath and finished the contents of my jug. I would have to get more water when the train stopped. A couple more hours went by. I had shaken off my terrible dreams, dismissing them as my subconscious response to the stress. We hope those and the gang members I could understand. I'd read about them exhaustively. The woman I couldn't. Had she been a drug user? Maybe I had seen her on Google Images, one of those after. Pictures you see of addicts. If she... She was... She would have have to been one of those more intense cases. I remembered nothing like her. I didn't remember her at all. My worry about this dissipated as I felt the train slow down. Will had told me to look out for a huge tower with a blinking red light nearby. I saw it in the distance. This was going to be where the train would stop. I would either get off at this place and find somewhere to stay, or I could wait for the yard workers to unload and sneak back on. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. The train slowed. I could tell it was about to stop. I put my gun and flashlight back into my backpack and made sure my coat was zipped up. I stayed in the corner as I felt the train come to a halt. I, had th- I was thrown forward, so I was glad that I at least held tight to the walls. Grabbed all my things and peeked out the door of the car. I needed to stretch my legs desperately, but I didn't want to encounter the bull. All I saw were the other crew members who had hopped off the train when it was only going a couple miles an hour. Will had told me that the yard workers were pretty accepting of people hopping off the train as long as they were nice. Luckily, there was a crew changing going on. So I had at least a few seconds to get out of the car. I hopped off, breathed in the air, thunder rumbled overhead, the dark clouds obscured the velvety dark blue sky. That raindrops at the top of my head startling me. I didn't feel comfortable walking in the rain in a place I didn't know. Back on the train it was. All the necessary paperwork had to have been in order. Because I saw the new crew hop on the train, I quickly got back onto my original hiding place. It was too short of a rest, but I could live with it. I propped my backpack in the corner. I was worried about not being able to get any water. Maybe I could hold the jug outside of the raining catch the water that way. Risky, 
As it was, for the time being, I felt fine. I was relaxed, warm, and I felt safe with the rest of the crew being relatively nearby. Despite my long sleep, just a few minutes before, I had the urge to doze off again. The rain was falling heavily at this point, hitting the top of the car like torpedoes. The thunder would boom at random intervals, making me jump out of my skin every time it did so. I hadn't seen any lightning yet, though, as if my recent connection with nature had grown to be physic. A burst of white light illuminating the car. That's when I saw it. There was someone in the opposite corner from me. I had roughly been able to make out a body with the face. No, no, there couldn't be someone in here with me. I had only been out of the car a few seconds. I hadn't left it. I would have seen someone get in the car, felt their presence near. If someone had gotten in, they'd have to be fast and quiet. Had I hallucinated? I didn't feel like I had. The rain pelted at the top of the car with a frightening intensity, and the wind howled. As my eyes adjusted to the darkness, I could see that I hadn't been imagining something. A dark shape was huddled in the corner. I could see its head shaking. As if we're having a seizure, I heard gurgling noises coming from its body. It made this sound for a while until it started laughing. It was a breathy laugh. The laugh of someone who was trying to cancel a joke. The laughter gradually became louder, morphing into a cackle, with the choked girls coming up in intervals. I felt my bones had separated from my muscles. I was paralyzed as watched. The thing heaved up and down, and my throat had run dry. My mind raced as I tried to figure out what I could do. If I jumped off the moving train, I would die. I was scared to even move, fearing that the thing would attack me. The person in the corner stopped laughing. It inched its head forward, as if it were trying to look at me. One arm extended in front of it, bones cracking as it did. A long skeletal hand splayed on the floor in front of it. The thing's shoulders were hunched like it was about to pounce. My fight-or-flight response kicked in. I shoved the arm behind me to grab my gun out of my bag. I managed to pull it out and put in a thing that loomed just feet away. I shook even as my finger was on the trigger. However, the figure never moved away. Instead, it cocked its head. As if it were amused by my action, in my hurry to grab the gun, the flashlight had fallen out of my backpack. I saw it out of the corner of my eye. I didn't know why, but I felt that I had to see what crouched in front of me. I was prepared to kill this person, but I guess the human side of me had to fully recognize it before the bullet went through its head. I grabbed the flashlight and shone it at the thing. This was an action that I will regret for as long as I live. Pale, translucent skin stretched across its skull and greasy, stringy brown hair hung off of its patches. One of its eyes was a pale, corpse-colored blue, its pupil merely a quivering pinprick. The opposite eyelid was plastered into a deformed crevice, revealing the cavernous insides, which, where an eye had once made its home. It growled through a clenched mouth, revealing jagged yellow and black teeth. 
some of them looking like they had been sharpened down to the point. Its body was grimy and several emaciated. The outlines of the bones, looking like they had been carved into its flesh, red raised scars covering the thing from its arms to its skeletal face. It appeared to be covered in oily brown bags, one small, wrinkled breast exposed. This was the woman in my dream. This was the demon, living invisibly among the drifters. The death goddess, willing my destruction. Tears welled in my eyes as she heaved and growled. When the light hit her face, she let out a shrill, high-pitched wail. Before I could pull the trigger, she lunged at me, pinning me into the corner of the boxcar. Her long, jagged fingernails ripped into my face as inhuman screams emanated from her mouth. I fought her, kicking and flailing. Trying to push her off of me, she was stronger than I thought. She was able to wrestle me to the ground, her long fingers grasping around my neck. Her face was millimeters from mine. Her one eye, the hue of decomposition, bored a hole in a mime. Her sour breath felt hot on my face, and her cracked lips spread into a wide leer in a low, gravelly voice. She spoke to me. He, you, send you to hell. Make my house with your bones, she screamed. She sunk her teeth into my shoulder, making me yell in pain. I thrashed as she dug deeper into my shoulder. The gun was to my right. I reached for it while my other hand pulled her hair, trying to rend her off of me. I was able to slip my middle finger around the trigger guard and bash her across the head with the gun. It shocked her enough that I was able to throw her off. I pointed the gun at her and pulled the trigger, but it missed her, sailing out of the open door and out of the car into darkness. She threw herself at my legs, still screaming, and bought me to the ground. I had her across the shoulder and never back with the gun and kicking her off again. She was too fast for me. If I was going to have a chance at life, I had to make a decision. I looked at the door of the car and saw trees in the distance. I lunged out the moving train into the storm. The side of my body hit the ground, then I rolled on a hill. Rain pelting me mercilessly. I only stopped rolling with my body at the bottom of a ravine. My ears stung from the howl of the wind. I clambered up the hill, trying to get to the tree line. A more piercing howl rang through the night. I looked back to see a woman running on all fours down the hill, shrieking with anger. I used all the strength that I could to run. Blood spilled from my shoulder, and the gun felt like a heavy weight attached to my hand. She was gaining on me, and I knew that my fate would be even bloodier than it would have been on the train. She wanted revenge. This propelled me up the remainder of the obstacles. I ran across a short distance and flung myself into the woods, never stopping to look back. My legs caught across blackberry bushes, and I had to push limbs out of the way of my face. I could still hear her howls in the distance, but I pressed onward in the dark. I could see nothing, and I felt like I was moving through jelly. I finally came to a part of an open woods. 
I had to stop due to the sheer exhaustion. Even though I didn't feel safe, the only sound I could hear now was the light sound of rain hitting dead leaves and crickets chirping. Much of the rain was caught in the canopy above, forming a roof over my head. I was thankful for this slight reprieve. I didn't want to look at my shoulder, but I felt I had no choice. It was covered in red blood, covering it completely and running down my breast. I started crying. I was going to die out here. I would bleed to death, and there would be no escape. The woman would find me, finish me, and eat my dead body. She would use my bones to make a house, whatever that meant. I was at the mercy of an insane person and far from any civilization I knew of. As I became resolved to my fate, I listened to the rain. I remember the mountain with the trees and the wind through my hair. I didn't want to die, not yet. But that's when I realized the crickets had stopped tripping. Something was moving through the brush, somewhere in the distance. A surge of adrenaline burst through me and I took off the opposite direction. I ran and ran, hearing her howl. As she tried to find me, I kept running until I saw a colored light ahead of me. It was a diner. On the other side of the road, I started laughing when I saw it, thinking whatever force was in charge of the world for bringing it to me. I pushed the doors open. A waitress was behind the counter. I smiled and collapsed. I woke up in pain. I was propped up in a booth. With a woman staring at me, I jumped when I saw her. Shh, you shouldn't move. I looked down at my shoulder. It was covered in gauze, but I wasn't bleeding anymore. I... I need to get to a hospital, I said. She looked at me sympathetically. I'm sorry, hon, but the nearest one is about an hour away. It's pouring out there. I don't want to risk either of us. I stopped the bleeding. You're holding up just fine. I looked at her blankly. What happened to you, she asked. I was swiftly reminded of my terrifying encounter with the thing that stalked me like an animal. I don't want to talk about it, I said. The waitress nodded. She brought me something to eat. She introduced herself as May. She started telling me about herself. At any other time, this kind of would have annoyed me, but anything that could take my mind off the recent hours was welcome. May had had a fairly hard life. Her stories weren't uplifting, but they felt like Disney movies compared to what I had just faced. She talked about how she and her siblings are brother and sister, and then moved from foster home to foster home. They weathered sexual, psychological, and physical abuse. She mentioned one home where a male pedophile had locked her and her sisters in the closet while he was sodomizing her young brother. My life was hell as a child, but it did get better, she said. I have a pretty good life now. I make good money for what I do. I can go out and drink and have friends. I, I can't complain, she shrugged. What about your siblings, I asked. She hung her head. May didn't say anything for a few seconds, but she finally spoke. My brother couldn't take it anymore. He committed suicide a few years later. My sister was placed on a psychiatric facility. She was supposed to stay there for the rest of her life, but she left eventually. I looked at her. So, she got better. Yeah, you could say that. What do you mean? 
Every, I gave a small smile as she gave one to me. I guess it would make more sense for me to explain further. The bastard pervert who raped my brother, my sister killed him. She took his eyes out, bit off his nose. I stared at her in silence and she continued, they were going to lock her up. But a shrink determined that she wasn't in sound mind when she did it. So, they sent her to the loony bin. She was only trying to protect my brother. He and I would go visit her. She talked about getting revenge on everyone who had hurt us. When she had bit the son of a bitch's nose off, she said that she liked the taste of blood. She told me that she was going to eat all the people that hurt us. She said that if she ate them and shit them out, that would be sending them to hell. God wouldn't take them because they were shit. Those people drove her insane. But she's still smart. She escaped. I still see her sometimes. I was trembling. May looked up at me at the same time. That a lion looks at a gazelle. She zeroed in on my shoulder. You met her tonight, didn't you? She smiled. With all the evil in the world. Her pale blue eyes lighting up in my terror. I remained silent. She laughed. Her voice dropped down to a whisper. She wants to send everyone to hell. I really do admire that in her. Sometimes she'll bring me something. An arm or a leg. I'll cook it up for her. She'll pull the meat apart like a dog. She'll take the bones back with her. I followed her once. She sticks them in the ground around her. It's like she builds a wall around herself. You're insane. I choked out. Maybe I could find her. I'm sure she's looking for you. We could eat you together. Mate looked. Me and grinned. I bolted from the booth and raced out the door. I looked back to see May grinning evil sneers in hers. I ran down the road, hoping and praying that someone would pick me up. I put all my effort into getting away from this place. This experience, this life I had made, I ran into the night. Occasionally, I would hear something in the woods beside me. Something walking. walking. I wondered if it was her. After two hours, I had no choice but to sell my pace and my legs couldn't take more than a sluggish crawl. To my left, a rowdy biker bar crackled like electricity through the night. Two men stood outside near the motorcycles under a yellow light. They laughed and threw back some beers. They stopped their chattering when they saw me. They followed me with their eyes. One of them had shoulder-length black hair. He smirked as he looked me up and down at this. I disappeared in the woods. I live in a different place now. It's an apartment. It's not as nice as my other one, though I do some odd jobs. They don't pay much, and they get me what I need. I'll work for a little corner store nearby. I sell watermelons to old people and act like I'm normal. After my day is done, I take the money and I go to the bad part of town. I get the stuff for the man who can give it to me. I don't want to do it, but it helps me forget. Forget my life, my current situation. It helps me forget her. I go up the stairs to the dingy place where I live. The other people who live there stare wide-eyed at me as I go by and I don't know why. When I go inside my place, I read my materials 
I tie a tourniquet to my upper arm, smack my veins so I can see them. The needle sucks the stuff from the spoon. I flick it and then expel any bubbles. When I put it inside me, I go away. I see the mountains. I see the trees. I feel the sun. I feel alive. The drugs don't work when it rains outside, though. When the thunder booms and the wind howls, she's there. I can't fight her with the needle. The sun is overtaken by black clouds, and a hideous, killing cold sets in. I lay in the middle of a moving boxcar, my limbs severed. I can only scream. She lopes around the car, fastening bones together, always making sure her eye and my eyes meet. Her mouth pulls back with a wide smile, laughing. Life will always be a cage. You just have to make sure it's the one you've built yourself. I broke out of my cage and I don't have the means to build a new one. So she does.